You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to the Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm joined by Dave Grant. Dave is the owner and financial advisor at Retirement Matters, and he's also writing a bi-monthly column for the last six or seven years in financialplanning.com. If it's still available, you can check out on YouTube a year of Dave's journey at the Daily FA on YouTube, where he kind of goes through a day in the life of a financial advisor. So if you want to know what it, you know the real deal is, that's a great thing to check out. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chip. It's good to be here. I've followed your journey from some of the things that you write. We're in a couple of Facebook groups together. But for the benefit of our listeners who haven't had a chance to kind of follow along, kind of give us a little bit about your background and, and how you got here. Sure. So I am originally from England and moved to the United States in 2005. And then by happenstance, I met a girl, we got married, and I stayed. And then really had no idea what I was going to do for a career. You know, I was going to be a teacher in England, and then realized I would have to go back to school for four years here to do that. So that was a non-starter. And then just happenstance, we did our personal finances. I thought it was fun. So then started looking around for jobs that I could do involving personal finance. Had no idea if that was even a thing. So randomly just found a receptionist job at a fee-only firm in the suburbs of Chicago. Stayed there for three years, went to another firm for three years. And then after that, realized, okay, I'm about to leave a second firm because of things going on. Do I really want to go and join another firm where I'm going to leave again? Or do I want to try and figure this thing out for myself? So at that point, I was really involved in the world of teachers. So my wife was a teacher. My mother-in-law was a teacher. A lot of our friend group with teachers as well. And in Illinois, it's kind of screwy because you're not paying Social Security, you're paying into the pension. But if you work another job, you can earn. There's a whole lot of complexity that financial advisors just aren't too aware of because for the most part, we're asset gatherers, if you want to put that air quote around it. So it was a case of, you know, these are the people I really want to work with. So I opened up my own RIA back in 2006, and it was called Finance for Teachers. I went all in eggs all in one basket, the strategy that we don't ever recommend the clients do. I did the complete reverse. And then once I went into that, it became a case of, you know, three years down the road of doing that. It was, I really enjoy this group, but it's not getting me to the revenue space that I want to be in just for the part that they're pension heavy. And there's not too many assets there. At that point, I rebranded and then became more of a retirement income specialist. And then three years after that, this is where we sit today. Well, that's awesome. I have a particular soft spot for teachers myself because I was one. So I, I taught sixth grade uh, right out of college, and it's an interesting niche, right, uh, originally, mm-hmm. because you're, you're kind of fighting off the Horace Mans and, and really trying to differentiate between those. And, and my mom was a kindergarten teacher, and so I can definitely see how just the nuances of all those things, but it's also interesting to me that you made a decision to branch out. How was, and I want to get into one of your more recent articles, but I'm curious, 
the rebrand and deciding to kind of bite that off and, and deal with that. How do you make a decision to completely change course? It was easy. I was about to go broke. I had no choice. You know, I looked at my business checking account and I was about three months away from just running out of money and needing to find a job. You know, it was either, okay, let's throw everything at the wall at this point, see what sticks. Let's change everything. Not really the client base because I like who I'm working with now, but I want to branch out, still work with teachers, but really almost go back to the way that I had been raised in the business. And let's start to see if we can build, you know, some assets and build some revenue from that. So that was really the only reason. And then I found out that I really enjoyed learning about retirement income and figuring out how it all fits together, especially if you've got a pension as well. A lot of advisors these days, it's all about how do we design income from assets? Well, throwing a pension and maybe social security, and if you've got two pensions into there, that kind of takes on another specialty by itself. So it was fun to just dive into that too. For sure. And it takes a lot of pressure off the assets if you have one or more pensions. You know, so I, I definitely can see how that makes an awful lot of sense. It certainly makes mm-hmm. things easier. But to your point, sounds like it made it difficult though. Were you fee-only upfront planning charges? Yeah, I've always been fee-only. So when I launched, I set my fee model as, okay, let's get as far away from assets under management as we can. Let's do hourly and let's do a monthly, I guess you can call it retainer. It was really an annual fee paid monthly for people who wanted ongoing planning. So I didn't do any assets for three years and tried to figure out, okay, let's see if I can make this work without managing assets or you know, having that man on my shoulder saying, oh, they're a million dollar client. They're probably better for you in the long run than this young teacher. Okay. So now you've gone through the transformation. What's the business like now? I'm assuming in the expansion to Retirement Matters, did you add AUM pricing as well? Kind of a combination now? Yes. So in my fee model, it's, it's almost like I'm a schizophrenic. It has gone through so many iterations. It's ridiculous. So now I do a one-time planning fee. If it's someone who wants a financial plan or if they want a retirement-specific financial plan, we'll do that too. And then it's ongoing wealth management, which is an AUM-based fee, but that's ongoing financial planning, investment management, and tax services too with a CPA firm that I work with and I just cover the bill. Gotcha. And so all of that is important, I think, in in diving into getting a real clear picture for our listeners as to where you sit today. Because I reached Mm -hmm. out to you, uh, not only because you're a Clemson fan, but um, because Dave and I, for those listeners, we have Facebook messaged in between games. This is the first time we've ever met face-to-face kind of via camera, but we've messaged about Clemson games. It's been a good couple of years for us to be college football fans. But Mm -hmm. I recently read... Dave, your article that the rough title was semi-retired at 37, one RIA's roadmap. And I think that for me, not originally knowing when I think I got the email from financialplanning.com that you were the one who wrote it, I was kind of like, huh, that sounds interesting. Younger than me, and it really sounds a lot like kind of the lifestyle design that we talk about with our clients, but it's not something that we necessarily talk about among ourselves. And so I I thought it'd be Mm -hmm. interesting to really just kind of hear your take on it and what the decision was and and why you made it and how you decided to kind of take that step. So to start with, that title was not my idea. That was my editor's idea. And I've gotten a lot of grief from my wife and close friends about that article because they're like, oh, so you're semi-retired. That means you can do this for me, this for me. Oh, you're working today. Was it a hard day or are you semi-retired now? Oh my word. It was, 
yeah, that wasn't how I titled it in terms of how I wanted to shape the piece, but that really got the clicks, I think. But then when I look back on it, it does reflect kind of how I live life now. And I was really trying to understand how do I want to build a practice that supports my life versus building a job that I can't really get away from because it's my business at this point. I can't really step away from it too far. And it all came down to reverse engineering my own income for what we needed personally. And so when I looked at our personal budget and the goals we wanted to achieve, it was all backtracking into, well, here's the income I need to get. And if we want to hit our stretch goals, then that's another X amount of dollars that I need per month. So then I take that into the business and say, well, how much do I need to run the business? What kind of emergency fund inside the business do I need? I've actually built that up to say, well, what kind of recession emergency fund do I need? Because a lot of my income is now derived from assets. So if those go down, so does my income. And if I can take a certain amount out of the business, does that then support my financial goals without depleting the business too much? So now I'm at a point where it's a, I would say it's in a comfortable zone. I could certainly would want to increase my income, but if my income stayed at a flat level right now, it would be fine. So I'm not going out there hunting for business. It's really a case of let's try and find these ideal clients that will stick with me and me with them for 20, 30 years. That part sounds like an ideal business for any advisor. I, I know that Kitsis has done a lot of studies on retention rates and those kinds of things. And so we certainly have a an industry for that. It's interesting because you went from three months, I think you said, left of operating expenses left in the bank to how many years and semi-retired? <laughs> yeah. You know, that was probably four years ago. And now I'm at a case of, you know, I'm thankful that my wife works and holds the health insurance as a teacher. She does a lion's share for the family in that respect. But in terms of revenue, my company revenues, you know, 150,000 takes me 50 to run the business. I take a hundred out. That's all I need. Right. Could I live on 200? Of course I could. Who couldn't? Sure. But for me, it's more important to have the time than the dollars. Gotcha. It seems to me like having read the piece, I mean, that's really the crux to your story, right? Is making the decision of what was most important. Was it hard? It was a gradual progression. And there was a lot of weird emotions that came up. You know, for one, there was a lot of guilt because I saw my wife getting up before me to go to work every day. And then, you know, I do a lot of stuff with the kids, but then she would come home after I was done working and do that again and again. Yes, she had the summers with the children and some free time, but, and then I said, yeah, I'm not going to work as hard. And of course it got the reaction of, well, why? Like, why wouldn't you work hard? I'd rather work smart than work hard. Sure. And then it came down to well, what you can do with your time. And that's when I started racking off all the, the personal goals that I had that I'd rather do while I have the physical capability to do it versus waiting until I'm 60 to try and do it. I think that speaks to, we all have different seasons. You mentioned kids. I, I don't know. Uh, my kids are from 12 to 20. So I have a, hmm. a seventh grader through a sophomore in college and they're just seasons in life. And one of the cool things I think about you and I in our business is we have the ability, if we choose to, and, and you have, to ebb and flow our life and our business with the seasons of the other things that we have going on. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot like what we teach our clients. I mean, we teach our clients real similar things. So what were some of, you mentioned guilt. What were some of the other emotions that you felt 
kind of as you started to consider and then make the, the transition? You know, some of it was almost embarrassed when people say, you know, do you have a hard day with the stock market? I'm like, I don't really know what it did for the last two days. Like I couldn't tell you because one of the things I started doing about three months ago is I started training with a personal trainer three mornings a week. And I'm also combining that with training for a sprint triathlon. So I'm at the gym like six days a week. I really don't know what happens to the stock market if I'm not at the computer in the afternoon. Yeah, that's kind of embarrassing when you're managing people's money and they call you up and say, what should we do? I'm like, I don't know. I have water in my ears from the pool. I absolutely don't know what's going on. But then I then have to remind myself of even if it was at my desk, would I have reacted to do something? No, because that's not what I'm doing anyway. I'm building portfolios for the long term and clients understand that. They just want to have a conversation. I've actually explained to some clients that, you know, you may call me, but I may not be here, but I'll, I'll get back to you because my client load isn't that big. You know, I probably have about 20 ongoing clients and then I work with about 12 new clients per year who may just do a one-time plan or become ongoing. So my turnaround time for a client, it's pretty short. You know, I think we kind of fit the parameters of let's try and get back within the next 24 hours. Well, if I can beat that and do it the same day, yeah, why not? Because my client load is not that big. It goes to show, I think, for advisors who are listening, you know, most of our episodes thus far have been growth oriented. And I think that your story is interesting because you grew to the point where you were happy. And Mm -hmm. I think that for me, I think I would say to our listeners, understanding what your personal goals are and what makes you happy is a good way to begin building the business plan. One of the benefits of being in a business like this is to be able to build your business around your life rather than the just the other way around. And I think it's a real struggle for a lot of, of advisors. Have you had a lot of feedback from the article, Dave? I have. I mean, there's people saying this was really refreshing to read. It was something I'd not really thought about myself, but it's interesting to see how you're trying to do it. Some people have said, well, how do you do it? Like, how are you prospecting for new clients? And I then take them back to say, well, I didn't just do this overnight. Like I've been working on this for the last probably seven years and it's just now become a reality because what I've been doing is generating a lot of content that is all on my website. It's on YouTube. It's everywhere else. So I have a big web out there that is pulling people into my website and I still get leads from content that's a couple years old and I'm still able to bring in new clients without actively going to search for it. So that's how I'm still able to grow and get a lot of time into my own hands. And do you find advisors reaching out and thinking that it's something they might want to emulate? Some of them. Others are like, you're crazy. Why would you not want to earn more money? Like, well, that's you. Like, that's sure. that's fine. If you want to earn more money, that's great. Just sure. realizing what you may be giving up for it. You know, you sure. may be working 50 to 70 hours a week if you really want to earn the most amount of money you can. That's not my MO. That's not what I want at all. Sure. Um, And like you said, with the kids, you know, mine are nine and seven. There may be a season when they're 15 and 17, or even when they've gone to college, that I will go back and work harder because now I've got all that time that I was carting them around and I may want to put it back into the business. And at that point, I can. Sure. They'll have learned a lot, you know, kind of in the process, I think, from having you around. Now, you mentioned that it took seven years to get, you know, you're one of those overnight successes, right? You know, that took seven years. What was the process like? So at some point you said, I want to make a hundred grand. 
this is how I'm going to do it. How did you begin to, how did it, from an implementation standpoint, wasn't just flipping the switch, how Hmm. did you step back and progress toward where you wanted to be without it being a, a complete change all at one time? So I think part of it was understanding how I spent my day. And there's a lot of it which I could cut out and it wouldn't affect business at all. So you'd mentioned we're in some Facebook groups together. If you look hard enough, we're probably not anymore because I've cut out a lot of social media time that isn't directly related to clients. And so even in the you know advisor to advisor space, I've taken a big step back from that and kind of freed up time there. Whereas you know, three years ago, I was heavily involved in that space, but it took up some time and it was great at that time. It was fun to do, but then I have to step back and say, is that A, where I want to spend my time? And B, is it generating money so that then I can free up more time? Sure. It wasn't. So I took a step back. So you mentioned kind of looking at how you spent your day. How do you spend your day now? So it depends what day it is. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm not in the office before 11. Like that's when I go train. Sometimes Tuesday and Thursday, I'm at the gym too. That will be a little less. So that could be, so say I'm never in the office before 10 or 11. But that doesn't mean that I'm not connected to it. So I have client compliance texting on my phone and I've got email through my phone. So I'm always there knowing what's going on. And then if there's things that are happening, then I'll be in my office or it's going to be client meetings. I work late on a Wednesday. So I try and push as many meetings as I can to a Wednesday if I can and just slot them all during that day during the week. Then it's the same as what we always do. It's building client plans. It's working on different client processing things. It's just me and my business, so I have to do everything, which is a pro and a con at the same time. But then if I don't have anything to do, it's either developing content or I'm just not here. Like I'm doing other fun stuff that doesn't require me to work. So it's great. I guess the theme that I hear, and it happens to be, maybe I hear it because it's my personal word for the year is intentional. Uh, it, It seems to me like a big part of what you've decided to do is to be intentional, intentional about your business and about how you then structure your time and things like that. Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I think a lot of it ties down to intention. It also ties back to mental health too. You know, as I was going through the whole business restructuring, that took a very heavy mental toll in terms of this is my identity that is going down the drain here. I now have to go find a job that I left Am I going to be okay with that? That was probably six to nine months of just a period of mental darkness of of just a huge cloud over my shoulder of, can I do this? Should I be doing this? And then when I built the business back up again, it was, I don't want to get there again if things don't go the way that I thought they would. So I need to make this less of my life and less of my identity and really make sure I'm looking at it in a healthy way. So for me, that's not working however many hours, it's 40 to 70 to whatever it is, five days a week. I have to make it a part of my life and not the overarching theme of it. Well, I can only imagine having done this for 20 years, that there are people who are listening and who are, again, maybe like some of the feedback that you've gotten who fall into two camps. You know, there are some who the money is the, look, it's why a lot of folks get into this business. But then there are others, whether they are wanting to build from kind of the bottom. So a lot of the, you know, the newer RIA model in a lot of ways 
is to build, and I've seen, again, I hate to keep quoting Kitsis, but somewhere I read in, in one of his things that the lifestyle practice is thriving. You know, it's not one of those things it's not, that's going to get eaten up by roll-ups and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can imagine, you know, but then there are also probably some advisors who, like you, had worked for a handful of years and at some point decided they just wanted something different. Uh, if somebody wanted to kind of begin the process or explore, what are some of the steps you'd suggest that they'd take? It really depends on where they're at in their business cycle. You know, if you're starting this from scratch and you really want it to be part-time, then it's going to take a long time for it to actually run by itself and maybe provide the income you need. You know, I worked full-time in the business for well, six, seven years before this actually happened and worked the traditional way that everyone else did. But I think if you already have an established business and you want to start saying, okay, I want to spend less time in it, you got to be ruthless with your time. Like if it's not making you money, you have to then say, should I be doing this? For the most part, you could say, A, I don't want to do it or need to do it, or B, I can delegate it to someone and bring in some assistance at that point. But then you have to think of, do you want to manage team members? For me, I've been in that position before and I don't want to do it. Like it's great not having to do the work, but at the end of the day, I'm, I guess you could call it lazy. I don't want to have to manage that relationship. I don't want to have to make sure that everyone's on track and doing all of that. If I can do it myself and then leave and not have to think about it, then that's great. Understand what part of the business cycle you're in. If you have an established business, then just start to carve out the pieces that aren't really generating income and aren't very meaningful for you. We're all familiar with the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. I read somewhere that, you know, I think that we most often think about it within our practices. 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of the clients kind of thing. Hmm. I think that I read somewhere that, you know, the same is true with our activities, you know, that, that 80% of the results are coming from 20% of the things that we do. And it encouraged kind of like what, what it seems like what you did is, is you go back through your calendar and eliminate the 80% of things that are only generating 20% of the results from a time perspective. I, I think would, that would give you back a lot of time. It seems like. It did. And I went back and looked at, well, what did I do the last six years? A lot of that was generating content. And then if you go back through Google Analytics to say, well, is the most recent content, is that being found? Is that being read? Or is older content starting to you know, do well and start to kind of have a good trajectory there? And on my website, it was older content that was converting people and highly niched content, mostly for teachers that was converting well and causing people to become clients. So that's what my content is now. It's reiterating what has worked well in the past, but also being highly niched focused for mainly Illinois teachers. I try not to stray out of the state just because teaching in different states is wildly different. I had an interview not long ago where the guest talked about the compounding effect of content. And mm-hmm. would you say that's true? I mean, it sounds to me like you're affirming that, that if you can do content, and do it consistently for a long period of time. What, what I heard you say, I think, is that it's the older stuff that's finally kind of getting around to, to generating, but you had to take the long approach and, and be patient with it. Yeah. I mean, I actually went through the process of doing this all twice. So I built a website for Finance for Teachers, 
and it had all the content for Illinois teachers. And then I sold it with all the content because it had some great traffic numbers. You know, it's pulling in 10,000 people a month, which for a financial advisor website, that's not common. And it was mainly because of all the content that was on there because it was highly specific. So then I started from scratch again with Retirement Matters and then built up a content library. Some of it was evergreen. Some of it was pretty niche specific too. So that started from zero, but now that's probably up to half of what Finance for Teachers was doing, you know, in the 45 to 55,000 visits a year, but that's generating clients. And so if you can get up to a critical mass of content that is working and people are finding it and it's converting, at that point, I've really slowed down my content creation now because it's all the older stuff is doing what it's supposed to do. And you can go back and look and see how long it took for, this is interesting to me, how long it took for the content to simmer before it began to really kind of catch traction, whether it's in SEO or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me like, again, kind of the way that I'm processing it is with your content, you've been able to press the gas in advance of when you would want to be able to bring in new clients and grow and back off in times when, like now, where, where you're not looking to take on as many clients. For sure. Do you see a pattern in that? And I guess what I'm asking is at some point, let's say our listeners get into the content creation mode and they're going to use that for client generation. There's Mm -hmm. a period of time from when they start to when they start to see clients, but has it been your experience that you can kind of raise and lower the production of the content and see a correlation in with the lag time, but, but see the correlation in when the clients come in? Yes and no. It really depends. I would say one good example of finding a perfect situation was teachers in Illinois back in 2018, they were told that they could apply for a refund of part of their pension when they retire, just to take some burden off the state for paying it for their lifetime. And inactive teachers were eligible for a refund too if they didn't want to receive their pension when they retired. They could take a a prorated refund of what their benefits would be. There was a lot of material on the pension website that was really hard to understand. So I took all of that, repurposed all of it, and obviously put my spin on it as an advisor too and what people could think about doing. And that generated a lot of interest and clients as well. And that was probably within the space of about three or four months. Some content doesn't work that fast. Right. You know, some of it is going to be, you know, if it's a little bit more generic, you know, I've had content that I made right as I started you know, in this whole rebrand. So end of 2016, start of 2017, people are finding that now and saying, you know, I'm really thinking about you know, a bucket strategy for my retirement income. I saw you write about that and use that phrase. Can we talk about that more and see if you can do that for my assets? That's more of a generic concept because it was written about in those terms. People found it and then that converted them at that point too. I got you. Again, it's interesting how we can all build our businesses in, in different ways. And and I would say, going back to one of the other kind of topics you touched on, a lot of times that management of people is work. You chose to just do it yourself and, and have more of that work to do. Mm-hmm. But the trade-off was that you didn't pick up the work of like, I think you said, managing the relationship. Uh, it's just a different animal. It's just a different choice. And mm-hmm. so I think it's pretty cool how we can build our businesses in the life that we want to. We're an action-oriented podcast. And so we try to give something that folks can 
leave with and do today. If some of the things that we've said resonate with them, and they said, you know what, I want to be like Dave. I, I want to build what he's built. It seems really attractive. What's one thing, kind of a first step for an advisor who thinks that this is something that they want to do? What would you do first? I'm a big fan of reverse engineering. So I think it's all about, okay, what do you want your practice to look like in 20 years? You know, how many clients do you want to work with? What are their psychographics? What's their kind of demographics? What type of assets do they have? Do they need a lot of your support? I would go through all of that in terms of an exercise and build out your perfect practice. And then you have to come back to today to say, well, how do I get there? How am I going to reach people? Is it going to be through content? Is it going to be through relationships with other people? And have a very specific way of getting to that. And also understand, well, what services do they need? And if you're not offering that now, well, then change your service model and start to offer that. Because the more you start to build your practice now is how you want it 20 years, it's actually going to get to that point and not by accident. So if I didn't want to get to 20 hours of work, or, or maybe I did, but I know it's going to take a long time, mm-hmm. would it make sense that maybe if I'm going to work 40 hours, part of that 40 hours is doing what's necessary to get to the whether it's studying for, I I don't know enough about retirement income planning, or I guess what I'm saying is, could we structure our 40 or 50 hour work week that 10 of it is intentionally building what's going to be necessary to get to that 20 hour work week later? Does that make sense? I think that that's really, that's what it's all about is figuring out where you want to get to same way we do with clients. And then if you're going to have to, if you're working in a support role, or if you're a service and advisor, or you're somebody who is figuring out kind of that. We did an episode one time on the piss off junior advisor. I've been there. We get it. Mm-hmm. And so part of the time that if you're in a role who has to sit somewhere, I'm a big believer that your biggest investment, your best investments in yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, spending time like Dave did to move along yourself so that you're ready for whatever comes next. Yeah. What do you think, Dave? Well, I think it's been very open about your weaknesses too. You know, for me, I did not know enough about retirement income probably 18 months ago. And so it was a case of, okay, this is what I want to do. So then I took the RICD designation, which is purely retirement income. That was hard. But now I feel very confident when someone comes in and says, I need you to design a retirement income plan. Sure, let's go ahead and do it. For some other people, it may be, okay, I, I'm confident in the knowledge, but I don't know how to go out and get those type of clients. Well, then you need to go through training so how you can be very confident in approaching those people and saying they should work with you. You've got to focus on your weaknesses if that is a weakness that is going to help you grow in the future. So you can't just do this by accident. Focus on your weaknesses to the point where you can feel confident. Mm -hmm. A lot of our business is confidence driven. For some people, that's getting the CFP. For other people, it is. I've seen a lot of young advisors that the designations it's not the knowledge. They have the knowledge. They know what, but it's the confidence. And so whether it's like Dave getting a designation or we live in an on-demand education economy, as far as I'm concerned, we can learn anything we want to, mm-hmm. anytime we want to from our living rooms. I mean, part of the folks who are listening, that's what you're doing now is you're exploring new ideas. I think part of where Dave and I are coming from is just be intentional about it. Decide what it is that is going to be important to you and go out and learn the things that you need to, to be confident in being able to take care of, of the kind of clients mm-hmm. that you serve. 
And you're always going to be you know? growing. You know, once you've taken care of that weakness, there's going to be a, something else that comes along. You know, I remember when I signed my first large client, I had to set a fee minimum of $10,000. But then when it came down to it and I understood all their assets, it was going to be a three times multiple of that. And I had to really go in there and I was sweating hard when I told them what their fee was going to be and they didn't blink. I'm like, oh, so maybe there's others out there that will happily pay this fee too. It doesn't, if I'm not comfortable with it, that's okay. If someone is comfortable paying it, then I have to be able to project some confidence to say, you know, I'm worth that. And I think you should pay it. Yeah. I, I remember the first time it hadn't been that long ago because I've not been flat fee uh, up until uh, we switched over to the kind of independent broker dealer channel. I didn't have the ability to charge a fee. I mean, you could write $300 on a form and send it up to the financial planning department. And the first time that I told Monty, AUM had never been a problem. It, it was what I learned. That was not a problem. But the first time I had to say, okay, well, that's fine. But uh, you know, our minimum fee is $10,000 for somebody who didn't want to pay AUM. I'd been doing this for 20 years. It was still hard. And, mm. and so some of those things you have to kind of press through. But I think that for the listener, you know, a big thing is knowing that you're not in this by yourself. I hope that's part of the reason that you're listening to this. One of the reasons that I'm still in some Facebook groups and have the, the Maximum Advisor Facebook group started is because I believe we're better together and, and we're not in this thing alone. And so whether it is trying to design your practice around your life or whether it's a growth goal, it's important to know that folks like Dave, folks like me, we're here. And, and the reason that we're here is because folks poured into us at some point, mm-hmm. you know, went out and we had to go get it. There are also folks who poured into us and we're both the kinds of folks who are around if you have questions, just ask. It's easy to be, you mentioned embarrassed, Dave, and guilt and shame and all those things we heap on ourselves. Truth is, I've not met many advisors who aren't willing to help the next person along mm-hmm. because we're lucky to be here. It's been a great career for me, and I take a lot of pleasure in being able to help others. Dave does, too. That's where the writing comes from. And yep. so, Dave, I want to thank you for Coming on, appreciate you sharing your story, and hopefully if folks have questions, they can reach out to you. What would be the best way for somebody just want to know more or talk to you directly? What's the best way for folks to to catch up with you? Four months ago, I would have said Twitter until I left, so that's not an option anymore. Probably email, so Dave at retirementmattersillinois.com. I do get people randomly emailing me there, and I email them right back, so that's usually the best way. Well, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, folks, check Dave out on financialplanning.com. His stuff is great. And the biggest thing is it's real. If you want to know what it's really like, if you want to know, you know, one of the things I appreciate most about Dave is that he's authentic. And whether it's writing in a website that 30 or 40,000 or however many people might read or his stuff on his website or just our time together today, Dave's incredibly authentic. And I think he can give you a behind the scenes. And so, if you're the person who likes to ask questions and you haven't quit Facebook, check out the Facebook group. <laughs> it's one of those things that we're working on growing and I don't mind. It's a great way for me to be able to answer. I had a, a chance yesterday to answer a question from a, a younger advisor who was new to his town and just looking for ideas. And so that's what we're here for. We believe we're better together and hope that you'll come back here in a couple of weeks. Thank you again, Dave. Thanks, sir. And folks, we'll be back at you again real soon. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com slash scorecard now. 
Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group. And subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.